Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about the name of Christ, and we're going to talk about the ways of Christ, and we're going to talk about the ways that are not of Christ. One of the uh, verses that I uh, saved to begin this show was, Judge not. And ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Those are all put together in one place. goes on to talk about giving after that. But this idea of judging not, and forgiving, and not being judged, and not being condemned or, or being forgiven are connected ideas. Christ was attacked constantly. I mean, they physically attacked Christ. Tried to throw him over a cliff. Eventually, they even crucified him. They tried him, of course. And yet, during his trial, he said nothing. He was not defending himself. He was letting them accuse him. He spoke to Caiaphas once and told Caiaphas that he would see him coming on a cloud. Modern Christians think that that means they're going to see him coming on a cloud. And they might. There's no second coming or third coming. They're not numbered in the Bible. So maybe Caiaphas already did see him coming on the cloud. And we may see him again coming on a cloud. But the point is, is that he was not defending himself. Because why? Because it would distract from the message. If we are going to go out and preach in the name of Christ, we will preach according to the character of Christ. Because that's what it means. Name has to do with character. We have a uh, long article that has uh, been built up over the years on the net called What's in a Name? You can find it by going to hisholychurch.org and and going to the outline page which would be slash outline or outline PHP and uh, there's a whole big outline of lots of articles and videos and audios and and all sorts of uh, Information, even books you can download all for free and keep you busy discovering what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Because it's at hand. It's at hand right now. It's not for the dead. It's for the living. It is the way. It is the way you should be living your life. The way you should be interacting in the world, but not of the world. But there's a great deal of deception as to what that means. The same as there is a great deal of deception is what is the name of Christ, the name of God the Father. It is his character that is his name. In the old days, you know, I mean, the the word name is in the Old Testament is Shem. And actually we 
we refer to Shem as Shem, but his name actually is Name. Because it identifies that he's the name. He's the head guy. He's the one that passes down the promise of God. The kingdom of God was passed down from Adam and Eve to Seth. Didn't go to Cain. Cain went out of the presence of God and started his own government. So he wasn't a part of the kingdom of God. He had to go out of the presence of God. But it came down to the prophets that followed the ways of God all the way up to Noah, who wasn't really a righteous man, but he was righteous in his generations. And so therefore, Shem was the inheritor, the heir, the high priest and king of the kingdom of God. He was the king of peace because he was not going to be like Cain and exercise authority and rule over others. He was the king, the righteous king of peace. Now, at one time he had a father and mother, which was, of course, Noah and Mrs. Noah. But he lived a long time after the flood. Generations passed, and he was still alive. Amazing. According to the story, he was still alive even up until the time of Abraham. And Abraham was nine generations after the flood, after Noah. But Noah got distracted and he wasn't, like I said, a righteous man, but he was righteous in his generation. So Shem, though, was a righteous king of peace. He didn't set up a city-state. He operated according to the perfect law of liberty. People tithed to him. That was their taxes. Abraham even tithed to him and uh, supported his kingdom. So that he was able to move with a large entourage of people and bring aid where it was needed. And of course, he if you haven't figured it out yet, that Melchizedek, who brought aid to Abraham, was the righteous king of peace. Now, if you go back in ancient documents, ancient Hebrew documents, this is well accepted. That Melchizedek was the head of the family the head of the family of man, of all generations, because he was the descendant of Noah, who was passed away. Both father and mother was passed away, so he was sui juris. He had inherited everything that was his father's and everything that was his mother's. And he was the righteous king of peace of all mankind. But he did not rule over. There were many, 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 many people who had followed the ways of Cain. They had gone out of the presence of God and they had created altars to lords, Baals, uh, Nicolaitan-type altars, systems like Cain, like Nimrod, like Lamech, 
And those systems were to provide them with security from marauders, from destitution, what have you. And they gave charity, but it wasn't really charity in those cities. They gave aid. They gave benefit. They were benefactors, but they exercised authority. In other words, they compelled the offerings of the people. Now, Rome did this at the time of Christ, but Rome, hundreds of years before, all their social welfare, all the charity of their society was done by free will offerings. Because they were a republic. You were free from... The, the, the Senate couldn't make laws that say you had to contribute to the welfare of your neighbor. People just did it. And it created the bonds of society that brought society together. That and intermarriage with other families and other communities and communities helping communities created natural bonds that brought people together. They weren't compacted together in social contracts. They were compacted together as a people because they helped one another. When there was an invasion, they all fought together. And this creates bonds when there was a fire, when there was a flood. Rome had a tremendous flood in its early days. They actually moved the city to the city, the place of seven hills because there was this huge flood along the coast. Lots of people died, but uh, they just decided we're going to rebuild a little bit higher ground. So they built on the, on the city of seven hills. And from what I've seen, those hills ain't high enough because that Rome will be flooded again. And they people will be seeking high ground. And many, 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 many people will die again. These disasters happen throughout the ages. But the great disaster, the great disaster that we should all be concerned with is the fact that we have gotten away from the ways of the righteousness of the righteous king of peace away from the ways of Abraham away from the ways of Moses away from the ways of Jesus Christ because we're not doing things in his name we're doing things in the name of Nimrod Cain and Lamech and evil Caesars and evil Pharaohs because there were good Caesars and there were good Pharaohs there wasn't a lot of good Caesars, but there used to be a, a, a certain moral character that flowed to them that is, is, is gone away from the people and therefore often gone away from their rulers because the rulers, the rulers you have in whatever nation you're in, in across the world are a product of who you are, of how you act and relate to the rest of the world. And unfortunately, most people are not acting and relating in the ways of Christ, in the name of Christ. Oh, they profess his name. They talk about Christ. They say they even believe in Christ. I saw a post on the internet where somebody was talking about that. They believed in Jesus Christ. And they do good things, not for a reward, but because they like doing good things. 
and therefore they think they're saved because they say they believe in Jesus Christ. But which Jesus Christ? You know, if you go look up Jesus Christ on the Internet under images, you Google it under images, you'll get all kinds of images of Jesus Christ. And he looks like this, and he looks like that. And in some places he's black, and some places he's white, and some places he's got long hair, and some places he's got short hair, and some places brown eyes, and some places blue eyes, etc., etc. Now, if there's that many different visions by artists with pen and paper and ink as to what Christ looks like, then how many versions of Christ are there for the people who paint pictures with words? Well, there's lots. There's lots of different Christs out there. Images of Christ painted with words. People describe Christ is this way. Christ wants you to do this. Christ is like this. Christ means this. And they base it all on the Bible, but they all come to different conclusions. But these are private conclusions by individuals. The only truth that's in the Bible is in the spirit of he who wrote it in the hearts and minds of men who wrote the words. When we read it, we don't necessarily hear what they meant. This is one of the great revelations of my life, is that when I'm reading the Bible, and the ministers who taught me, and the teachers who taught me were reading the Bible, we were getting a different message. Because they were getting a message from their intellect. Their intellect was deciphering based on knowledge, based upon their flesh and blood understanding of the text, based on their study of history, etc. And they're wrong. Many of them were wrong. Oh, they had some of it right. You can't say anybody is completely wrong. But, you know, there's a whole thing in the Bible about, you know, if you've committed one sin, you've committed them all. You know, you're, you're completely condemned. And you can't save yourself by perfect living, although we are called to be perfect. But what the, this deal is with this uh, interpretation of the Bible and, and our personal interpretation of who we think Christ is... That's what we believe in. We believe in the image of Christ that we have created or others have helped us create in our minds. We believe in his teachings. We believe in God and the image of God that we have created in our own minds. That's idolatry. Well, then how do, how do we believe in God? How, how do we believe in Christ? How, how do we know if we're believing in the right Christ? Well, Christ told you it wouldn't be by flesh and blood. You're not going to go study some book and then you know Christ. You have an intimate relationship with Christ. You're not going to be able to dive into your own imagination and do it either. Although, this is one of the things that is often done with religion is they... They get you to do an altar call or, uh, you know, come up in front of everybody, create an emotional experience. They use music. They use chants. They use 
you know, high-sounding words, and they get you to have this emotional experience, and you imagine that you've accepted Christ. Now, the interesting thing is, when you think you've accepted Christ, you may be actually starting out on the road to accepting Christ. You may have an epiphany, a spiritual epiphany, that leads you to go a particular way. But the first thing the devil's going to want to do is distract you from that by creating the idea that you're just saved. That's it. You just thought a thought, and you're saved. You don't have to look any farther. But that's not the case. You do have to keep looking because... That's what Christ said. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and the righteousness of God. Now, the righteousness of God, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big thing to seek. You know, what's righteous in this moment? What's righteous in the next moment? Because my circumstances changes. Righteousness is the same. But is it righteous to to give to this person? Well, maybe. Okay, what about the next person? Is it righteous to give to them? Maybe. Maybe it's not. Maybe what they need is to go without. And you shouldn't give to them. That would be righteous. They, The slothful should be under tribute. And if they're slothful in the ways of God, you should not be helping them get out from underneath tribute because they're supposed to be under tribute. You know, if they... They want to, you know, I mean, God didn't send us here to help people get over their hangover. He sent us here to help people stop getting drunk. We're not supposed to be making people comfortable in their sins. And what is their sins? Well, of course, you know, Cain, you know, attacked his brother. Hit them over the head. Well, we attack people all the time. We make accusations at people. We accuse them. We humiliate them with accusations in the public. We may not do it overtly. I mean, it's really easy to see when you see some of the ranting and ravings that some people post on the Internet. It's very easy to say they're angry. But sometimes... It's just a little subtle anger, impatience. You know, anger, impatience. It's just a matter of degree. And we begin to stray from the character of Christ, the name of Christ. We begin to become angry. And we begin, like I say, maybe it's not anger. And you say, well, I wasn't angry. But were you impatient at all? Ah, might have been a little impatient, a little disappointed in the people. Get this. Write this down. Everybody should write this down. People sin. <laughs> okay? We got that written down? We should not forget that. We should figure out that people sin. People are under strong delusions. People are in error. We're com- you know, People are injured. You know, people are confused a lot of times because they were injured when they were small children. And they've never gotten over it. And they carry that baggage. Now, they can 
be released of that baggage through forgiveness, but that's not going to be in a moment. God gives us a whole life to deal with these issues. And now, if we're going to come in the name of Christ, we're going to have to come with His forgiveness. Right up front. We have to come realizing we will be attacked when we point out the truth. Because truth hurts. You know, it's like coming in and stomping on somebody's toes sometimes. And they're going to react. But we're doing it, you know, like uh, to wake them up. You know, we, actually, we wouldn't be stomping on their toe, but we might, uh, you know, smack somebody across the cheek a little bit, you know, spiritually speaking, to get their attention. You know, we might shout at somebody because they're about to go over a cliff. And you have to yell, stop! And the person will stop and turn around and say, don't yell at me. Why are you yelling at me? Well, you were about to go over the cliff. I was trying to, you know, I didn't think you'd hear me if I just whispered it. So, they took offense and they came back and attacked it. But you saved their life. You, But you then you don't go, the fact that they got mad at you because you yelled at them, you, you don't start getting all upset and start yelling back at them. You you have to be understanding because you're, you're supposed to be walking in forgiveness. So immediately when they react to the fact that you've pointed out something that hurts, you know, you hurt their eardrums when you scream, you, you've already forgiven them before they even react. You knew they would react, you know. And that's the character of Christ, you see. But what happens often is that we react. We react because they react, and then they react because we react, and then, then you have a battle of egos. And nobody is seeking righteousness. At least not the way they should. Not in the character of Christ. They're spelling Yeshua, Eua. <laughs> They're leaving out some of the letters. Some of the characters of his name, his identity. You see... His identity is not the letters. His identity is who he is. That's why Yadevai, the Tetrahedron, is the existing one. The existing one what? The existing total one. The one that has the character of God. The whole character of God. The whole light. The whole divine white light of God. That's the name of God. Doesn't have anything to do with your letters and spelling. Has to do with his character. So we're going to take a look at that character and match it up with our own. You you match it up with yours, and I'll, I'll work on matching it up with mine when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about his name. We're talking about his ways. We're talking about his character. And of course, his is Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah, the Anointed. Because that's what those words, Christ or Christos, and uh, 
Messiah or Messiah mean? They mean anointed. And anointing in a symbolic sense is oil, often poured upon the head of an individual. Oil was a very important part of the health of an individual. But this oil was an anointing oil. And it was to symbolize an anointing of the Spirit. Not water, but oil. And oil and water don't mix necessarily. Unless you want to hydrogenate it. (laughs) Which, of course, is not a good thing to do with oil, especially those that you consume. But when we're talking about the name, the name is a symbol. It's not the individual. It's a symbol of the individual. And God does not need an ID card. He's not on a roster or rolls. He wasn't named by his father. God is the father of us all. The creator. In order to reference him, we may take some letters or a descriptive term and say he is the existing one. You know, and I give the example of uh, Indians. And you could go back to the Celts and they did the same thing where Someone was given a name when they were born, and that name might change as they grow up. But the name was to identify them, not because they were slaves like a brand, but to identify them and their characters so that we'd have some insight into the characters so the Indians would have names like Stinking Riding Blanket. I always thought that was an interesting name for an Indian. And we think that sounds like a terrible name, but that's actually a good name because it meant he was a very good horseback rider. He was very good at riding. He rode all the time, and the horse blanket was smelly because it was full of horse sweat. And so they called him Stinking Riding Blanket, which is a very complimentary name. doesn't sound that way to us, but we don't live in that culture. That's a translation into our own language. And into our own culture. That's one of the things you need to understand when you're reading the Bible. Especially if you go back and read it in the Greek or the Hebrew. It's not just about translating the words into corresponding English words. But reading it in the context of the culture of the people. See, a man who had no father or mother meant that He was his own man. His father and mother had passed. Now he was the head of the household. And in the case of Shem, that was the case. Before he passed away, his father and mother had passed away, and he had no father and mother. He was the king. He wasn't a prince. He was a king. Wasn't just taking over the role of his father while his father went into retirement. His father was gone. And he was the righteous king of peace because he wasn't operating like Sodom and Gomorrah and so many other city states. He was operating like Abraham was doing with altars of free will offerings. You'll see that over and over again in the Old Testament. Free will offerings, free will offerings set on these altars. And you've been led to believe that when those those offerings were laid on an altar that they piled up a bunch of sticks and burnt them up. 
And then the smoke went up into the air. And we show in the book that kingdom comes and in another book that will be coming out, Altars of Blood, or Blood on the Altar. I think it will be Altars of Blood. I keep vacillating back and forth. We'll know when we got it finished. Um, I actually talked to the printer about it this last week. But it's not ready for that. It's still got to go through a lot of editing. And we have uh, articles coming out and other audios coming out that will help set the scene so you'll understand that those altars, even in the days of Abraham, were living altars. They weren't piles of stone. Now, they may have piled up stones as a symbol of that, but uh, of what they were really doing. But once you understand their culture and what these words were meaning in their culture, that gathering of stone is a gathering of friends. Same word. You know, giving the kidneys of a sheep to, to say, give the kidneys of the sheep to the Levites is the same as saying, give the control of your sacrifice to the Levites. That's right. It's exactly the same word. You see, words are but the signs of ideas. Samuel Johnson said that when he wrote his dictionary. But in that culture, and in that language, words had two meanings. They had an abstract meaning, and they had a physical meaning. So the idea of giving the control of something to somebody is the same word, same exact word as kidney. That's right. Same exact word. And if you were going to give the control of your sacrifice, because, you know, those those Levites weren't sitting around eating kidneys all day. You know, that, that was their share of the uh, sacrifices, the kidneys, according to what they're telling you in the Bible. But what they're really saying is the control of the sacrifice was theirs. And that sacrifice was used to take care of the needy of their society in a way that strengthened the poor. You see, because the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't homosexuality. That wasn't the sin. That was the product of the sin. That's where the people went when they committed the sin. What was the sin? In a time of affluence. I mean, this is what it says in the Bible. I'm not making this up. They did not strengthen the poor. They weakened them. They weakened them with a system of altars of social welfare that was like the Corban of the Pharisees. See, Corban means sacrifice. Remember, Jesus said the Corban of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. And this is a topic we cover over and over again. And the reason I always go back there is because it's really very key to understanding Christ. Because Christ was saying, you want eternal life, you have to keep the commandments. You know the commandments, keep them. He knows you won't do it perfectly, and that's where grace comes in. But that's what you have to be striving to do, because if you're not doing that, you're not striving to do the righteousness of God. You might be entering into a contract, a social contract, with unbelievers that think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods and force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. On civic altars, 
that are run by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Bible know exactly where I'm getting those phrases from. I'm quoting right out of the Bible. Because Jesus said you weren't to be that way. You weren't to be praying to the fathers of the earth, which were the rulers of governments. Senators were called Patri, Father. The emperor was called Our Father, Patronus. And you weren't to pray to them for your daily bread. You were to pray to God for your daily bread. Now, how does God give you daily bread? Do we see manna falling from heaven? No. In the early church, we see those that had extra bread shared with those that didn't have enough. That's what John the Baptist is saying. He's saying, you know, if you have two coats and your neighbor has none and he has need, share with him in a way that strengthens the poor. And he says, do this also in meat, in other words, in food. You know, if you have extra food and your neighbor doesn't have enough and he's going hungry, share with him. That's called charity. But the benefactors who exercise authority, they're doing what Cain did, what Lamech did, what Nimrod did. And see, that's religion. That's what they called religion. How you fulfilled that duty to take care of the needy of your society. And the religion of Sodom and Gomorrah was like the Corbin of the Pharisees. It was forced. You had to pay in by statutory requirements. You see, if that's the way you're going, you're not doing anything in the name of Christ. Oh, you may say Yeshua. You may say Yahweh or Yadavah or Jehovah or whatever, but you're not doing things in the name of Christ. And the reason why is somebody has created a false idol. They've drawn the image of Christ to you. I mean, we recently had somebody who, uh, and I've seen this numerous times, so we'll just give this as a general example. And you'll see pastors doing this. You'll see people who think they're born again doing this. They will go out and help a neighbor who has a need. And that's good. That's good. That That's like Christ. Because he helped people. And see, the modern church, you know, they have charitable institutions, uh, you know, or programs within their institution, within their religious organization. Why do I use that term religious organization? Because the IRS uses it. Because there's a difference between a religious organization and a church. And they're a religious organization because they help the needy. You know, they they go out and perform that duty to God and their fellow man. That's what religion was. And we've covered that in numerous shows. That was the definition of religion 200 years ago. The performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Now it's just what you think about the divine, actually what you think about the supreme being, which is kind of ridiculous. And in a previous show, I, 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 I referred to it as divine creature. Well, God is not really a divine creature because he wasn't created. He is, but he is in the sense that a creature is a living thing. He is a creature in that sense. 
because he's he's not a dead stone idol. He is also not a figment of your imagination, although many people are beginning to think that. You know, almost everybody who thinks that are socialists. <laughs> and what's a socialist? A socialist thinks it's okay to take away from your neighbor to provide benefits for the needy of society, especially themselves. And, of course, from the beginning, Moses said it wasn't. From the beginning, uh, Abraham thought it wasn't. When he uh, had saved all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah so that they could be free, or they could go back to Sodom and Gomorrah and go into the bondage of that civil society, he said that he wouldn't take anything. He didn't covet anything. He didn't want any of their stuff. They can have all their stuff back. Why did uh, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah want them back? Because he wanted their stuff. Because once they go back into Sodom and Gomorrah, they have to pay into his treasury. He will be rich again. You see, he wanted them back. He needed those people because those people make things, you know, he'll tax them. They're under tribute in Sodom and Gomorrah as they are in most countries today. And they should be under tribute because they are slothful. That's what the Bible says. Slothful should be under tribute. Slothful in what? Seeking the kingdom and the righteousness of God. And how do we do that? We create living altars of stone. Now, we are all altars of clay. Adama. If you go back in the book and read the book Thy Kingdom Come or the pamphlet, uh, pamphlet, the sacrifice of sophistry, or um, artifice and language land. You will see that this idea of these altars, these living altars, were simply social welfare systems based on faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. They weren't mindless rituals of of killing sheep and burning them up so that the smoke goes up to heaven and pleases God? Where do you guys get this stuff? Well, I know where you get it. <laughs> it's You're making it up. It, it, the language doesn't bear you out. Common sense doesn't bear you out. They, oh, they say, oh, well, that, that was a type of Christ's sacrifice. You know, just keep making it up. It was the way. Jesus came to take the kingdom away from those who had unmoored it from the principles of God and had created a superstitious religion devoid of pure religion and very much spotted by the world. Remember, pure religion is taking care of the needy of your society, you know, the widows and orphans of your society, unspotted by the world. That's pure religion. And the word world there is constitutional order and system of government. And why do they put that word world there? Because there's a lot of different words. You know, I had a preacher say, oh, well, you can't just make up these definitions. And I said, I didn't make that up. He says, no, you have to use a known, uh, you know, um, and respected concordance. You know, a scholar who has studied and knows the definition of that word. 
Okay, I said, well, which one do you want me to use? He said, well, theirs. I always use theirs, he says. And I says, okay. So what's the definition of the word world there in that statement about pure religion and being unspotted from the world? Because does it mean that we're not supposed to have any dirt on us, you know, clay or sand or something, you know, the dust of the planet on us? No mud on us when we practice our religion? So we should all wash up before we go to church? Is that what he's saying? What what word is he using there? So we looked it up in theirs. And guess what? The word means constitutional order or system of government. <laughs> he still is falling back into his old, old seminary thinking. I can sit there and talk with him. And, and he really doesn't have an argument. And he's, uh, he's just convinced. I mean, they keep listening to me. But then he slides back into his old seminary training. It's right there in the words. Once you understand the words, you know, you read Samuel Johnson's dictionary or the Webster's dictionary or go and listen to uh, theirs. It means your religion shouldn't, the way, the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man should not depend upon a constitutional order or system of government. Because those governments exercise authority one over the other. So, if they're out there collecting the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of your society, that's impure religion. And you don't want to be practicing impure religion, spotted by the world. You see, we're not to be exercising authority over others at all. You see, and when we go and we show this and explain this to other people with the anointing of Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah, we need to be doing it in his character. In other words, they're not going to accept this right off. They're going to be rather upset that we even said this. They're going to be more than a little disappointed and angry even. And we're going to be persecuted. And we're, we should not be upset at that. We should not be there defending ourselves. Just keep focusing on the truth. In Second Chronicles 7.14 it says, If my people, which are called by my name. Now again, this is not spelling. By his character. They live by his character. Shall humble themselves and pray. And seek my face. Focus on him and his righteousness, and his righteous ways, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now this idea of hearing, because he says if you, you know, when they went and elected Saul, that was called a rejection of God because they wanted to elect the commander-in-chief who would run the army and protect them and guarantee them. But he was they, they were told that, that he's going to take and take and take and take and take and he's going to take your sons and daughters, first fruits of your labor, all this. He's going to do this because you, why? Because you're rejecting God and his ways. This is all going to happen. And then he says, and when you cry out, I'm not going to hear you. 
Now here in Second Chronicles 7.14, he's already explaining that if you turn from those wicked ways, I will hear you. If you turn from those wicked ways and seek my face, you can't turn from those wicked ways and go start up new wicked ways. You have to see. Now, this is the character of God. Now, you need to do the same with others. You know, back to that, forgive so that you may be forgiven. Give so that you may be given too. Judge not. Let God do the judge. Don't usurp God. Don't don't hold anger and animosity against your neighbor in any way. Let if he is angry with you and abuses you, forgive him. Don't don't run to defend yourself. Stick focusing on the face of God, the character of God. Don't be going the other way. Anyway, if you want to look up that what's in a name, and again, remember, name in the culture was a description of the individual. They didn't need to have it spelled out. I mean, if you go back in, in those times, especially before Johnson's first dictionary, people changed the spelling of their names all the time. If I saw one fellow who was from Normandy, and he spelled his name a certain way, then he came to England, he started spelling it in another way, it was more according to the custom of the way they spell things in England. Then he went back to Normandy to live for numerous years. And he began to spell it the way they did in Normandy. It didn't matter. He was still who he was. And his name described him. You know, like uh, one of my relatives, Strongbow. At least we believe he's one of our relatives. It goes back to 1066, you know. My name is, the last name is Williams, so some people think that, oh, I might be related to William the Conqueror, but the reality is, our name wasn't Williams. <laughs> we changed it back in the 1600s to Williams, actually, really early, even before that, I think. Um, back in the days of, uh, I'd have to go back and look at it. We were in Ireland at the time when we changed it. But it was a long time ago. We changed it because uh, the theory is, is that they were cutting off our heads under the old name. So we changed it to Williams. And there's a whole book written about that. But anyway, what we really want to get into in this show and, and the next show is uh, is following another whole line of topics and understanding. And uh, we, we're going to begin with Luke 3.11. And it says, He answereth. And saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Now that's in chapter 3 of Luke. And they're talking about people like John the Baptist. John the Baptist is saying this is what you should be doing. And why is this a topic? Well, of course, those of you who have studied our articles on Corbin and, and Sacrifice of Sophistry and, and uh, all these uh, things that we've written in books know that at the time of Jesus Christ, Herod, in the articles on baptism, Herod had implemented a social welfare system like the Corbin of Rome 
And that's the Corbin of Rome originally when Rome was rising as a great republic and free nation. But as Rome was declining into a despotic empire that took away the rights of not only the neighbors but them, uh, the, of the citizens of Rome itself, they had created a new system of Corbin run through their temples, which were government temples, just like just like Herod's temple was a government temple. It's a government building that was part of their religion, yes. But their religion then, as it was 200 years ago in America, religion was how you performed your duty to God and your fellow man, how you took care of the needy of your society and provided for the needy of your society. And so they built these temples. These are government temples. Now, there's a distinction between one type of government temple, such as a real church, and the government temples you see down in county or state capitals. Those are temples, too. And we're going to talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom, and we're going to show you the great delusion of our time and the false religion of our time. So when you come back, we're going to show you this. And some of you are going to like it, and some of you are not. So anyway, until we get back, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about some very important things that distinguish those who are believers from those who are under a strong delusion. And most of the people today that think they're Christians are actually under a strong delusion, and that's not a nice thing to say, but I have to tell you that. This is what John the Baptist was telling everybody at his day, and and he had to live way out in the wilderness. You know, this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, because guess what, folks? You're not going straight along the ways of the Lord. As a matter of fact, you've gone a crooked way, an unrighteous way, a way 
not cast up, a way that takes you away from God and does not draw you near, a way that stops up his ears so he will not hear your prayers because you have gone whoring after other gods. Now, you've all done this. Now, it's the time to repent. Now, get over it, okay? You screwed up. You're a sinner, okay? Write it down, make a note, put it in your pocket, and forget about it. Now, your job is to repent, turn around, go the other way. And so, what was John the Baptist telling people to do that would show you that they were going the other way? What were they doing before John the Baptist began to preach the kingdom of God was at hand back there in the wilderness? You had to get out of town. If he had stayed in town and preached this, he'd have probably been arrested right away. But they have to drive all the way out to the Jordan River, you know, and, and he has a lot of supporters. And the fact is, all he was talking about was charity. And why was he talking about charity? Because the people had created a system in the midst of Israel, built a temple and ran that system to the temple because that was Herod's temple. That wasn't God's temple. Christ came to take the kingdom away from this guy and everybody else. Of course, you know, there's stories I told you before about prophets who talked about telling Herod that he would be king someday and he thought, well, I have no chance of becoming king. But he said that during your reign the Messiah would come and one-third of your kingdom had to be given to the Messiah. And uh, he he agreed, but then when it happened, he he saw it coming about. He didn't want it to happen. Well, I'm telling you, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you. Your government that you've gone whoring after, I don't care what country you're in, any government that takes care of the needy of its society by compelled contributions is the unrighteous mammon. That what they put in their treasury to take care of you, that's mammon. That's what mammon means. It means entrusted wealth. And and even the word corbin, which actually means sacrifice, in one place in the Bible it's translated treasurer in the New Testament. It's also just put in there as corbin, but it's it's the Hebrew word for sacrifice. So, when Jesus said the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect, he's saying the sacrifice of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. And the sacrifice of the Pharisees was what they paid into the treasury, the Corbin treasury, to take care of the needy of society. Because it was a religious treasury. In other words, it was how they performed their duty to God and their fellow man. To God because they were to love their neighbor as themselves and this is the way they were doing it. They were doing it through this Corbin, this sacrifice that went into the treasury and was there to help what is orphans and blind people like the blind man and his family uh, that what that Jesus healed the blind man but evidently the family didn't want to be healed because they they would not profess Christ. Now, they may have later on, but at that time they were afraid to do it because they knew they would be cast out and no longer members of this system of Corbin, this system of sacrifice, because they'd been paying into it. 
since they were baptized, not not by John the Baptist, they were baptized by the ministers of Herod. See, Herod had this scheme. This all come out in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Lots of people have written about it. We've written about it. Is that Herod had this social welfare scheme where you would get baptized and you would be registered with the temple, which was the government building. You would be registered by the scribes. That's what scribes did. They registered you and then they kept track of your contribution. But you had to pay into that based upon statutory levels determined by their Sanhedrin, which was their Congress. They called it Sanhedrin. We, we In America, we have a Congress. In England, they have a Parliament. I, I think they have a par- Parliament in, in most of the British Empire, which would include Australia and Canada, etc. Different. I mean, Israel calls it the Knesset, I think, now. But these are the men who make the laws, and they say, okay, you have to contribute this much. And this is how we're going to figure your contribution, your sacrifice, your Corbin. You know, it's like Social Security in the United States, I think it's like 1.5% when it started. Then it's up to like 7% now. And your employer has to pay in part, and he's not really taking money out of his pocket. He's taking money out of what he could have paid you, and he's putting in, so, so it's like 14% or something now. And that's determined by your Sanhedrin, which you call Congress. And that's your religion. That's how you take care of the needy of your society. You see, because that's what religion is. How you take care of the widows and orphans, right? I mean, that's what it was. It was used to be done by the church and by charity everywhere. But somebody got the idea, let's have the government do it. And that idea is pervasive throughout the world today. And the government doesn't really do it. They just exercise authority over the people that are within their city walls, within their civil structure, and they compel them to make those offerings. And they can do that because you went down and applied for those benefits. You joined. You got baptized. I mean, Herod was actually baptizing people. You know, they would wash them. And at that point of washing, they'd already filled out the paperwork probably. And they were registered. And they got a little ID stone, you know, and a Hebrew name on it. And that was registered with the scribes. So they could go anywhere in the empire where there was a synagogue. And if they had a need, they could get funds there. And then that synagogue would be reimbursed by the money that went into the temple. This was a very complicated system, but yet very simple and, and done today in countries all over the world. I mean, they had ways of moving funds about and paying and helping the needy of their society. And that was religion, but it just wasn't pure religion. Pure religion is to do that not spited by this compact, these these agreements, these covenants that you make with these men like Herod, or Lamech, or Nimrod, or Cain, or Caesar, or whatever. You don't You don't make agreements with them. You don't ask their ruling judges, their government to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare by compelled contributions. Because that would make the word of God to none effect because it's based on covetousness, not love, you see. It's based on force, not free will sacrifices. Force sacrifices. 
in that simple little description, you see the difference between Christianity and and the rest of the world. And that's why Christians were persecuted. And that's why John the Baptist in Luke 3.11 starts out and says, He answereth and said unto them, He that hath two coats. Because they're asking him how this works. How this kingdom of God that he's preaching works. You're getting baptized and you're joining something. Well, they knew about baptism because Herod was baptizing. But they were signing you up. And you had to pay in. I mean, you could actually be penalized if you didn't pay in. I mean, there were actually soldiers who went around, you know, policemen, whatever you want to call them. You know, guys with weapons. That if you don't pay in, they, they come and take away your stuff. And they might even throw you in jail. Make you row some galleon somewhere. Work in the salt mines. Who knows what they'll do. But John is saying if you have extra. If you have two coats. If you have some extra money. If you have enough for yourself. So that you're not starving your children. Or even starving yourself. There's a lot of people. They give away everything. And of course there is a place for that. But we have to be very careful. Because there's a lot of foolish giving too. But anyway if you have two coats. And your neighbor doesn't have one. Let him part with the one that he doesn't need. And you were to do this also in meats, he says. Let him do likewise. In other words, charity. <laughs> Free will offerings. Given to men you trust. I mean, you're, what are you going to go around to every widow in your community? Do you have enough coats? Do you have enough? It's so much more practical to hire somebody who's really a dependable individual. And he'll go around. And he'll just spend full time, you know. Because, I mean, if you have to stop, you know, plowing your fields and harvesting your crops and milking your cows and and uh, whatever it is that you do for a living, if you have to stop and go around every week, you by yourself and check on all the widows, and, of course, everybody else in the community has to do the same. That's everybody spending all week going around checking to see if anybody needs any help. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, hey, we're going to get one guy, he checks on all the widows. And we'll give him enough to cover his day because that's a lot of work. You know, widows and needy of society. And we want to make sure that they're really widows. You know, that they they don't have a bunch of family that could be taking care of them and that she just wants to be on the dole. You know, because she can't get along with her kids uh, or whatever it is. And... uh you know, or she wants to have her own car and her own space and her own apartment. And her kids don't have enough money to do that, so she wants everybody else to pay for it. Well, that's ridiculous. No, I mean, family is supposed to be taken care of, you know. When, when we're talking widows, we're talking about a woman with small children, not grown children. The family should be taken care of. Don't you have homes of your own? Of course. And, of course, that's so much more practical and it allows the church to actually do a better job because it was discretionary giving, wise giving. Uh, They did a better job than the Roman government with all of its money and funds and workers and everything and compelled offerings. The church could do a better job. And they made sure that no widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And they had to create certain institutions to do that and we'll tell you about that elsewhere. But the point is this is a critical element of religion of taking care of the needy and we used to do it in America 
don't do it anymore. But now, we read Luke 3.11, but what about the first verse and up to the tenth verse? Let's read it in context. See what's going on. He says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being a tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturiae, and of the region of Traconitis, if I get that right, and uh, Lasanias, and the Tetrarch of Abilene, and that's not in Texas, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, so that the, they weren't necessarily high priests at the same time, but they were over a period of time. The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. In other words, he figured something out. Not by flesh and blood. You know, but like Peter did, by the word of God. The word of God came to him and he realized, holy smokes, we've screwed up. You know, see, because Herod, Herod was already doing this thing where he was compelling the offerings of the people through this system of Corbin set up by baptism and registration with the temple and the other, you know, subsidiaries of the temple, which we call synagogues. And he was uh, doing this already, and John the Baptist figured out this is undermining our society. It's weakening the poor. This is what Sodom and Gomorrah did. This is what Nimrod did. These are not free will offerings. He was probably out there studying with a bunch of Essenes or something, you know, or reading. Because the Essenes understood this. And he understood this. But really what made him aware is this revelation of God. And it says, And he came into the country about Jordan, preaching and uh, tr- preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. You see, so they're telling us that, you know, Philip and Herod and Pontius Pilate all have this other deal going on. But he is saying, repent of that deal and do this other deal that he's calling the kingdom of God. You see, is it written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Well, his path does not include covetousness. Does not include forced offerings, but free will offerings. And this is what John the Baptist was doing. And he could do it because he was of the priest class. He didn't have to pay into the Corbin of the temple uh, by force. Because he was exempt. He was not subject to that. But, it didn't mean that there didn't need to be some sort of pay-in. So, this was a question that came up later, is that, by what authority was John the Baptist operating? Because somehow or other, he was not in the chain of command that was coming out of the temple at that that time, under Annas and Caiaphas, which is why they're mentioned up there in verse 2. They're showing a distinction, that John the Baptist is talking about a different way. Repentance means turn around. And you have to turn around for the remission of sins. You see, it's not enough just to say you believe in Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus enough to turn around. 
You have to repent. If you don't repent, no one, I mean, the devil knows who Jesus is. He just doesn't repent. So, if you don't repent, you're on his side. So anyway, it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, that is this voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And I seem to be put out in the wilderness. I lived in the cities for a while. But I've been sent out here. I just knew I was supposed to be here. And that's this is where I am. And I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, and I'm just doing it over the airways <laughs> so that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it really was. Instead of the idolatrous gospel that is created in your modern churches that have actually delivered you back into the bondage of Egypt and return you to the vomit of unrighteousness and to the mire of pigs who are covetous and selfish. It goes on, Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, not of Herod, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now, we're really in that same situation. There is a wrath coming. But I don't want you to, you know, I'm not going to preach fire and brimstone here. I want you to repent out of love because we're in search of ministers of this same gospel. So was John the Baptist. Because he wasn't the only one baptizing. That was a whole group of people. And he was preparing the way, not just for himself and a handful of people, but lots of people. You see, because they had to join together in order to provide for the needy of their society. They had to look out amongst themselves and pick ministers they trusted and entrust those ministers with the righteous mammon so that they could take care of the widows and orphans without using a gun. Of course, back then, without using a sword, without using threats of violence, because they have to be free will offerings. Otherwise, they make the word of God to none effect. So anyway, he, he's talking about this multitude that came forth to be baptized of him. And he goes in in verse 8 and saying, Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourself, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Wow. Of these stones. Which stones? The stones of the living altar that John the Baptist was creating. He would he would accept anybody. Not just Israelites. But you may not believe that yet. But we'll go on in verse 9. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. So this is an additional thing because he says and also. In other words, the system that has been set up in Judea and elsewhere, because Herod set this up all over the Roman Empire. I mean, he built other temples like the Temple of Rome, etc., and we've talked about that. But it was the same system. He says, the axe is laid to the root of this tree. Every tree, therefore, which is bringeth not forth good fruits, 
is hewn down and cast into the fire. So these trees represent all these systems of Corbin. The Romans had their system of Corbin. They spelled it a little different because it's not about letters. It's about what is actually taking place, the spirit of what is moving. And we should all have Corbin. We should all have sacrifice. You know, share, sacrifice, give up so for the good of others. But we should do it by free will sacrifice because that draws us near God. But the Corbin of the Pharisees pushes us away from God because it was forced. And, and the, once you begin to understand this, this is this is earth shaking. You're in the wrong tree. The tree you're in is going to be cut down. It's already bankrupt. You know, there's a lot of people don't. You know, you should read our not so secure social security. And this is true in Australia. You know, we're not picking on any government because those governments have every right to exist. As a matter of fact, they are even allowed to exist by God because they're punishing the wicked who started them and molded them and created them. And this is what Samuel says. He's going to take and take and take and take and you're going to cry out. Good. Take. Take and take and take and take and take because the more you take, the more they'll cry out. Some of those that cry out, I mean, we have, I, we run into tax protesters all the time. And they're always whining and crying and all this stuff. Well, heck with you. I mean, you should whine and cry. You rejected God. You went the wrong way. Well, I didn't know. Uh, it wasn't full disclosure. I mean, you didn't know where the money was coming from for your free public school education? You didn't know that that was coming from your neighbors? It doesn't, you don't have to have a law degree to figure this out, folks. And, and they did tell you. And you couldn't hear. Now, I, I, I'm not giving you an easy out, but the fact is, is your ministers were all lying to you because your ministers were lied to. They went to seminaries and the seminaries said it's okay to cover your neighbor's goods as long as you do it to the agency of governments. And I'm saying no, it's not. I mean, John the Baptist is saying, no, it's not. Jesus Christ said it was, no, it's not. And Abraham said it, no, it's not. And Moses said, no, it's not. And all the prophets said, no, it's not. But your modern seminary said, yeah, it's okay. We actually had a guy who's been around in the network for a long time. He doesn't pick a contact minister that with any kind of effectiveness. He hasn't joined a congregation of record. But he goes around and he's a good deed doer. You know, like the Wizard of Oz. He's a, a good deed doer. He goes around and he'll give a hundred bucks to somebody. You know, he'll, he'll probably these people, you know, you see them, these guys standing on the street corner, many of whom are not homeless and, and, you know, don't have needs. And we've talked about it before. We've actually had people watch them. And when they're all done begging all day or for a few hours, they actually work in shifts. You know, we see a guy under a tree, you know, reading a book and everything. And, then all of a sudden he looks at his watch, he gets up and he goes over and he takes the place of somebody else who's on that street corner. That's right. It's his turn. They got it timed out. And then the guy who's on the street corner, he goes over to a bunch of guys sitting in the shade on lawn chairs. And he sits down and has a beer with them. And then you see people drive up and they say, oh, homeless. He's got a little sign that says homeless. Now there might be some real homeless people out there. And they hand some money out. The, we see them handing some money out the window. You know why they're doing that? It makes them feel good. You know, that guy's providing a service. All these guilty 
wicked people who've been following the ways of wickedness. I got I gave ten bucks to a homeless guy today. I feel so good. Oh, I'm a loving Christian. It's all part of the delusion. It's a game. No, what what real Christians do is they gather together and they take care of all the social welfare needs of the needy amongst their society. Now they may give a little bit to homeless, but they do enough to know is this really a homeless person? Is this guy really seeking the kingdom of God or am I just enabling some lazy bum who wants to sit most of the day in the shade of a tree drinking beer and reading a book? But he's got a two-hour shift on the corner where he brings in 20, 30 bucks and everybody does it and they all live in the same house or they live in the same trailer somewhere else and they're collecting Social Security benefits at the same time. This is just extra drinking money. This is what's going on, folks. But now, what what are you supposed to do? What does repentance look like? Come back in a minute, and we'll show you. Be right back. Well, welcome back. We're talking about systems, and we're talking about trees. And why are we talking about trees and systems? Because a tree is a system. That's that's why they use that metaphor of the axe laid onto the root of the tree. Now, a tree has branches. You know, they go out in all different directions and they have leaves on them. Those leaves are exposed to the sun and to the air and they take in sun's energy and they take in uh, carbon dioxide and a chemical process through photosynthesis and a lot of other chemical processes are going on in those leaves. And things are changed and they're put into the leaves and then those nutrients are changed and, and fed down through the branches all the way down to the roots. At the same time, the roots are passing things up that they're drawing out of the soil. The outside of the roots has it's secreting acids, it's interacting with microbes, and there's a huge complex chemistry going on in the roots of the tree and it's pulling in minerals and nutrients from the soil and it's mixing them and taking them back up to the leaves as raw materials for the leaves to use through that process of photosynthesis. Huge system in a tree. So they're talking about a axe being laid to the roots. If you cut the roots off that tree, all those leaves are going to die. The tree's going to die. It's going to fall over. It's not going to bear any fruit. And so he's talking about, John the Baptist is talking about in verse 9, that the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Jesus makes the same analogy when he's talking about, you know, trees, fig trees and what have you. It's not bearing fruit. He talks about this when he talks to the Pharisees. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. The kingdom's already there. It's just not operating according to the ways of the prophets and the ways of God. Because Herod had changed things. He made the system of Corban no longer a free will offering. And that's going to change the whole nature of his society. And it's not going to bear fruit. As a matter of fact, it's going to go bankrupt. All the money that they're putting in 
on a regular basis into the temple to take care of the needy of their society is going to be stolen away because men who seek power will seek office and they will take those funds to buy their office because they were selling offices in those days. They were selling the seats on the left side. They were selling these positions because they were very lucrative. The priests, they excavated in Israel. They found that the priests' quarters at the time of Jesus Christ, what was left of them in different places where they were excavating in these archaeological digs, were more opulent than those of Herod himself. Because they were using the money. I mean, in most governments, you can find the scandals in Australia and the United States and lots of places. Millions, billions of dollars have gone missing. Nobody knows where it is. It just disappeared. (laughs) Because you created central treasuries. Everything had to go up into one central treasury and then filter down to all the little branches. That's not the way God's tree system works. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And it will will not bear fruit. The tree will strangle itself out of existence. And of course, at the time of Jesus Christ, there were riots in the street. Pontius Pilate had to send soldiers down and actually beat people to put an end to these riots. They were doing this because of uh, this whole thing of this system was corrupted because it was like forcing the contributions. It was like forcing the roots, squeezing the fluids out of the roots to get up into the trees. You're going to kill the tree. And and this is what they were doing. It's it's going to make the word of God to none effect. It's, it's not going to be like God. So you're literally... By creating such a system, you are cutting yourself off from God. You're not drawing near. You're actually going away. And see, that's why the word Corbin, which means sacrifice, comes from the Hebrew word that means to draw near. Because God gives up his life. Not that he's in short supply of it, but he creates life. He gives life. He's a giver of life. You are given an not an infinite amount of life, uh, a finite amount of life, but you still have to have the character of God and give life too. So, back to what we were talking about earlier. There are men going around who think they're Christians and they give. And women who give. And they feel good about the giving. And the giving may be a good thing. Sometimes they give where it shouldn't be given, as we gave the example. But And they weaken the poor. And what they give is wasted. Because they're not very efficient about giving. Because they just want to do it on their own. When they want to do it. They're not tithing. And actually even some of the tithing goes to these preachers that have delivered everybody into bondage. So that they can buy big screen TVs and take month long cruises. And and you know have opulent quarters and nice cars and all this stuff. All of which is is because they're not doing what Christ said to do, what John the Baptist said to do, what Moses said to do, what Abraham said to do, which was gather together, pick men you trust, that are charitable men, not men who exercise authority, freely give to them, and freely receive from them. 
if you have a need. And your prayer should be in the temple where these men gather together to help you or in the synagogues where they gather together to help you. But it is based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. This is what they're talking about. You're not doing that. You give a hundred bucks and then you sign up the people for welfare or unemployment or or social security or or food stamps. That's what you're doing. Well, all those benefits come from men who exercise authority one over the other. But you think you're off the hook now. I only had to give a hundred bucks and I got them all signed up with the government that exercises authority and practices the Corbin of the Pharisees, which makes the word of God to none effect. But I have done my good deed for the day. I'm a good deed doer. I'm a Christian. I said all kinds of nice, soft things about Christ and loving Christ. We have to love one another. But I just skipped over the fact that you're going to be, from now on, praying to men who use guns to take care of the needy of society by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. All legal, because your neighbor signed up too. You see, they all didn't read Proverbs that warns you about having one purse and lurking privately for the blood of your neighbor so that you will be taken care of. And it tells you that you will be captured in the very net. You see, when you sat down and eat those benefits with the man who exercises authority, in other words, eat at the table of rulers, you didn't put a knife to your throat. You were a man of appetite. You said, yeah, let me have that SSI. Let me have that Social Security. I mean, I paid into it. My husband paid into it. Let me have that. Problem is, it's bankrupt. There's nothing in it. Not so secure Social Security. Read it on our website at hisholychurch.org. Go to the outline page. And, you know, what is it? You push CTRLF and then a little box will appear. And you just type in secure. And it will go to, uh, you know, a little article down there. I mean, there's hundreds of articles, so it's kind of hard just to read down and find it. But if you use that little CTRLF, you'll find it in a minute. And you read, not so secure social security. And it's bankrupt. There's nothing in it. Absolutely nothing. I don't care what they tell you on Fox News. There's nothing in it. It's empty. It's operating in the red. It is completely empty. There's not enough coming in to pay you. Not enough at all. Because there isn't anything in it. Everything that comes in pays interest on debt. So you take one dime. You're not taking from the money that you paid in. You're taking from the future of your children and your grandchildren. You're cursing your children. You know, we go through this regularly. I I know I repeat myself, but this is really important for you to understand because it doesn't need to be that way with you. You could actually repent and turn around and go the other way. Lifestyle may change a little bit. You know, lifestyle alert. (laughs) You you know, if you're not going to live in debt, you're not going to live by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. Oh my gosh, you're going to have to change your lifestyle. You know, lifestyle change alert just going up, so you know. But that's the price of repentance. That's the straight way of the Lord. And you haven't been going it, so you might as well know that. And so anyway, uh, he says he's going to be hewn down and thrown into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, 
what shall we do then? He's telling them that their system is going to fail. I'm telling you your system is going to fail. I'm telling you literally your system has already failed. There's nothing coming up from the roots anymore. It's coming from the blood of your children in the future. That's where your benefits are coming from. And the blood of your neighbor's children in the future. Because it's all debt system. Australia, England, Canada, New Zealand, South America, all these countries. That, 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 that. Any benefit you take is coming from the future of your children and your neighbor's children. Curse your children every time you take a dime from them. Now, I'm not saying stop taking it. I'm saying repent, turn around, and find another way to provide the needs of your family. And this is what John says in the next verse. He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. That doesn't mean to look around for a guy on the street corner with a sign that says homeless vet and hand him money. That's not what he says. It doesn't mean to drive around when you hear that some lady's in trouble and give her a hundred bucks and fill up her gas tank and sign her up for SSI. That doesn't mean that. It means gather together in congregations of record. In other words, where you know who you're gathered with, you decide to pick a minister who is a charitable, hard-working, industrious, caring individual who is knowledgeable in the ways of Christ and has the face of Christ at least to some degree. I mean, none of us are going to be perfect. And put them in charge of this and fund them. And watch them to make sure they do a good job on a local level, on an individual level. That's your job. That's what you need to do. Gather together. Not just drive around and say, oh, look, I gave a hundred bucks to somebody. And I talked about Jesus. Not the Jesus that we hear about in the Bible, but a Jesus I've made up in my own head and, and my seminary training and my preacher helped me create. And I worship that Jesus. You see, that Jesus that says it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other and call themselves benefactors. I'm just going to skip over those verses that say, no, it's not okay and you shouldn't be doing that. I'm not going to read those verses because I don't need to read those verses because I believe in Jesus. You see... I've hewn Jesus down to fit into my personal, private eschatology. And I'm under a strong delusion, but I love being under strong delusion because it makes me feel so good. (laughs) So, anyway, verse 12, Then came also publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Now, a publican is somebody who's like works for the government. You know, he might be a tax collector. Either a Gabi or Molkai. There were several different kinds of tax collectors. And uh, it could be, you know, uh, someone who keeps the roster or somebody who, you know, an accountant, like a scribe. 
Anyway, he, they came to be baptized because they said, you know, this guy, you know, he's preaching love and charity and all this kind of stuff. I like that. And they said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. You know, and there's a, we see recently in the news that certain people were targeted by tax collectors in different countries, United States won, because of their political opinions. You know, we see a battle going on in Texas. A lot of people that's been in the news for a while that, you know, that uh, people who once said something about disapproving of gay marriages, they want to ban them from ever having any government job or government contract. Because they said something. They thought something. And they spoke about it. Now, they, they didn't go out and beat up gay people. You know, they, they didn't go and, and bludgeon them over the head. They had an opinion that being gay is not a fruitful relationship. And it isn't. Because it doesn't produce anything. It's just about them. I mean, that's... You know, I'm not making up the laws of nature. You know, people say, you know, homosexuality is found in nature. Well... If evolution is true, it should have been bred out. <laughs> Actually, uh, you know, they talk about, you know, steers mounting steers in, uh, in the feedlots or even heifers mounting heifers. That isn't, that's all about dominance. That's all the determined pecking order in a herd environment. You know, it's someone, uh, expressing dominance over somebody else. But it's fruitless. <laughs> doesn't produce any fruit. You're not going to get any calves out of that. <laughs> so, and the species will eventually die out if they keep doing that. I always told a story about a ewe we had that actually thought she was a buck. And, and she would go out there and she would mount the other ewes. And she didn't have a lamb year after year after year. And, and we didn't notice it until about two or three years into her life. And But she was bigger than all the other ewes, but she just was never having a lamb, so she never putting anything into her lamb. Well, we had a big rambolay buck, and we let it out with the sheep, you know, at, at breeding time, because you breed within, you know, about a month. And we let, let it out there, and it was butting heads with the other rams, the other Columbia rams, but it had horns out, you know, almost three feet. And And she went over and butted it, and he looked at her, and she put her head down like she was going to butt. And he he kind of looked puzzled at her. Now, he's a lot bigger than her. She was big, but she wasn't that big. He's bigger than everybody. And, and so he faced off. That's what they do. They face off. They look at each other straight on. And she backed up, you know, two or three steps. And, and he backed up about ten. And then, all of a sudden, he came at her. And she started coming at him, but when she saw him coming at her, she decided she wanted to get out of the way, and she got she got a hit. Now, I'm sure she tried this with the other bucks, because the next day when she came in, next morning, when all the sheep came in from that field to go to another field, her head was on crooked. <laughs> but she never did bear any lambs, fruitless, absolutely fruitless, but she tasted good. 
So, <laughs> like I say, we're not vegetarians here. We will eat other vegetarians. But anyway, they want to make a law that forbids those people from, you know, it's, it's thought police is what it is, from ever having a government job or government contract because they thought that homosexuality is fruitless, that it doesn't bear fruit for society, that it's against nature. And it really is. And, you know, I, I don't want to pick on anybody. I mean, they're the ones that are fruitless. They're the ones that are, are evolutionary going to become extinct. You know, because they... You know, the reality is, is that most of this homosexuality we see rising, it's all a product of socialism. Which is why Sodom and Gomorrah had it. Because that was a socialist state. And they, in a time of affluence, they didn't strengthen the poor. They weakened them with their system of social welfare by force. And of course, that's what's happening today in every country throughout the world. And the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And, and John the Baptist is telling you the solution. And Christ said John the Baptist knew what he was talking about. And, you know, it goes on in other verses. And he said unto them, exact no more. So, if you are an agent of the government, tax collector, you should not be targeting certain groups and picking on them. Because you're actually taxing them and they have to hire a lawyer to defend themselves. You should be without discrimination. You see, the amazing thing is the very people that want these laws passed against discrimination are the ones who are most discriminating, these unfair laws. You know, and I could give you all kinds of examples. We won't get very far in this. But anyway, it says, And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely. Be content with your wages. And of course, that goes back with you now your tax collectors use soldiers. I mean, they have guns and all that kind of stuff, and uh, they they're, they become military. It says use violence to no man. You know, don't sh- don't shoot his wife. You know, don't don't kill his family. You know. Don't falsely accuse somebody. You know, like the the guy up in uh, Idaho years ago. Uh, can't remember his name. Not important. But uh, he was trying to mind his own business. They wanted him to spy on some other people. He wouldn't do it. So they trumped up charges against him. And he eventually won a case. But when he, they came after him, they came armed to the teeth and shot at the dog and shot at his kid and eventually shot his wife and killed him killed her. You know, unarmed woman holding a baby in a doorway. They shot her through the, I think, the neck. Horrible. And the guy got away with it. But they did pay the the, the husband you know, a bunch of money, I think three million bucks or something. Of course, that just comes out of everybody else's pocket. But John the Baptist is saying, don't do this violence. Because he knows that that system will become violent. Because it's unrighteous. And so it's going to breed unrighteousness. It's going to breed sloth. Because it's based on force. He says, be content with your wages. You know? Because he was saying, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Why did publicans and soldiers come and ask these questions? Because they're bound in an office. They've taken oaths of office. And they are the ministers of this other system. Which depends upon publicans and soldiers. You know, police and tax collectors. 
in order to extract thee, exact thee, extract thee, as the word you see exact in verse 13, from the people. And he says, that system should be there. Because remember, the slothful should be under tribute. And so all you tax protesters quit whining and start repenting, turning around and seeking the kingdom of God. And as the people were in expectation of all men, mused in their hearts of John whether he was the Christ or not. And John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize with water, but another one cometh after me, whose shoes I am not willing or worthy to latch, and he baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And on our next show, this afternoon, we'll talk about that Holy Ghost and the fire. Till then, may peace be upon your house, and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.